You're listening to Kaiju Vision Radio. We are here at G-Fest 25, and this is a very important day for us as we have just finished our panel only uh, less than an hour ago. And now we're going to move on to our first real interview at Kaiju Vision Radio. And we are joined by John LeMay, who is an, a kaiju-related author. He has written The Big Book of Japanese Giant Monster Movies, and his latest book is Terror of the Lost Tokusatsu Films. Thank you very much for joining us today, John. I'm honored to be you guys' uh, first interview subject. Yeah, so uh, how many books have you written so far now? Actually done 14. 14, yeah, wow. They're, they're not all Japanese uh, monster books. I, I'm actually from Roswell, New Mexico, so... <laughs> Do a lot of history books, books on UFOs, Billy the Kid, things like that. Oh, fascinating. But, uh, but speaking of that, uh, our first question is uh, specifically for these lost uh, kaiju and tokusatsu books. Uh, how did you go about your research proce- uh, process? Well, that's all thanks to technology of the day. Um, you know, now we can scan a, scan a page from a book. Then you get uh, something called OCR technology. And that will recognize the, the letters and the characters on a page and rip them off, even if they're part of a photograph. Um, and then the next step is you run those through a translator, like Google Translate, and you get a really horrible translation. It's really awful, shoddy, but if you're halfway intelligent, you can read it and figure out what's going on. Um, and it does work pretty well. And here's how I know this, is I recently translated a draft of Godzilla vs. Biollante, um, and I wouldn't have done it because it turns out Ed uh, Godzicheski had actually done it years ago for Japanese Giants. And it actually turned out to be a good thing, though, because it was like a litmus test. I looked at my translation of this uh, early draft of Godzilla vs. Biollante, and I looked at Ed's translation, and they were basically the same. You know, I missed a few things that Ed got because he has a better translator than I do. Uh, but they were basically the same, so that put me at ease very much. So I know that I am usually getting the right story from that. So you're going to the directly to the Japanese sources for all of these things. Exactly, because uh, we really don't have any good sources in English, you know. Um, for well, at least not for scripts, you know, things like that. So you have no formal Japanese language training? None at all. I know how to say "watashi wa gojira takaresi." I know how to say that, and that's it. Oh, what does that mean? I'm a Godzilla fan. Ah, excellent. That's the only thing I know how to say. I just love how you've been going about this just by by sheer passion, despite the fact that you you don't know the language, and you've never been to Japan either, correct? No, uh uh-uh. Yeah, would you like to go there someday? I would. would. Yeah. We would, too. We, We haven't been either. There are some pretty wacky films in your book, out of the ones that uh, were never made. Uh, What are some of the more infamous, well-known ones about? Specifically, there is a Bride of Godzilla, and there is also Godzilla meets Batman. That's correct. Everybody thinks these are internet rumors initially, but so did I. I thought Bride of Godzilla had to be something somebody got wrong or made up. But it was a real script from 1955. Um, Toho published it in a book called Toho Tokusatsu Unpublished Works, Era of Tomoyuki Tanaka. It has the full script. Um, has the full scripts for a lot of uh, unmade Godzilla and tokusatsu films. And uh, it's just as crazy as the title sounds. Uh, Godzilla fights a gigantic uh, female robot uh, who, is also, <laughs> who is also naked. But when we say naked, we, we really mean the Barbie doll variety of naked. 
Um, Anguirus is in it. A proto version of Rodan is in it. And here's the wildest part. This movie has so many similarities to Rodan. Um, ab- it absolutely, unquestionably had to have influenced that film, even though Bride of Godzilla's writer, Hideo Unagami, he gets no credit on Rodan, but his ideas are all there in Bride of Godzilla, a subterranean cavern, a flying reptile that uh, comes out of a Kyushu coal mine. It's all in Bride of Godzilla. So very interesting. And uh, Batman meets Godzilla. I actually got to read in English. Um, I got it from a university somewhere where, that stores the uh, William Dozier papers. And I'm not trying to be a jerk by not saying the university. I just don't remember which one it is at this point. But <laughs> it's out there, and it's uh, definitely uh, the Adam West uh, Batman meets Godzilla. Very zany. So, yeah. And if you even if you don't like Godzilla and you just like Adam West's Batman, you would very much enjoy that script. Holy kaiju, Batman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very. It sounds like such a sort of classic thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to wonder. You know, would they be putting in some uh, some uh, on-screen onomatopoeia for Godzilla? You know, all that. You know, instead of having him roar, it'll say "screonk" oh, coming yeah. out of his mouth. <laughs> One of the most interesting lost films uh, for me, because uh, this is I came to your panel last year at G Fest. Uh, there was a, a '70s script that I thought was really interesting. It, you had. Uh, said that you think that it might have eventually evolved into Godzilla versus uh, Mechagodzilla, and it had a lot of very wacky elements in it as well. You yeah. know the, which one I'm talking about? Yes, I do. And you're talking about Japan SOS uh, Godzilla's Suicide Strategy by Hiroyasu Yamamura. And I hope I didn't butcher his name, but I'm kind of going by memory and the fact that I've never actually heard his name pronounced before, but... Um, we don't actually know when it was written. It's undated, and it's about Godzilla uh, getting blinded by the military. And uh, it's all because there's this the aliens, instead of just trying to take over Earth, they, they have a different strategy. They, they unleash a invisible monster onto Japan, and only Godzilla can see it. So when Godzilla shows up to fight the monster, people don't realize what he's doing, and they think that he's returned to his destructive ways. And so the military combats Godzilla and, and uh, shoots these chemicals at his face, and it blinds Godzilla. And it effectively makes him the kaiju equivalent of Zatoichi. Mm-hmm. And that's actually noted in the script that it's you know meant to be evocative of Zatoichi. And Godzilla faces this invisible monster called, uh, I believe, Cameragon, and also Gigan. Gigan's in it again. And he faces them uh, while he's blind and somehow beats them. Unfortunately, there's no choreography in the script. There's no talk of how he actually does this. Uh, I think he hunts them through sound or something. But <laughs> It's yeah. such a great idea. I would have loved to have yes. actually have seen it. It's, it's different. It is different. And it's playing off of the, the Godzilla as hero motif yeah. that had been going on for a long time at that point. Yeah, and here's what, um, again, it's undated, so it could have been a sequel to Terror of Mechagodzilla for all we know. But here's why I think that it's uh, uh, possibly a precursor to Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. For one, uh, Hiroyasu Yamamura, that's the only movie he ever officially worked on of that series was Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Um, so I would guess he was called in to write a scenario, and that's what he wrote. The other thing that, that makes me think it was 1974 is the previous year in Godzilla vs. Megalon, they actually had a Zatoichi spoof scene that was cut from the movie. We've all seen these pictures of Godzilla. He's brandishing a tree sword, and he has a telephone pole in his mouth as though it's a toothpick. 
and we see the pictures, but we don't see the footage. Um, it was actually shot, and Tomoyuki Tanaka didn't like it and had it cut from the movie, but that was a very explicit Zatoichi spoof. Um, so I think that was on Toho's mind at the time, or the Toho writers. And so that's why I think it evolved into Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. And also the aliens in this script come from a planet that's disappearing into a black hole, which is would be repetitive if it hadn't already been done. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I think it was probably a precursor to that film. We here at Kaiju Vision Radio love screenwriter Shinichi Sekizawa. What most fans don't know that you elaborated on in your, in your panel last year is he actually did write a script for an unfilmed Heisei Godzilla movie. What was that one about? That's right. So when Toho had their big contest for Godzilla 2, um, Godzilla vs. Biollante was always a front runner, but there was also the, the runner-up, which was called Godzilla vs. the Robot Corpse. And uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka, he had that uh, developed alongside Biollante as either a backup plan, if Biollante didn't plan out, or possibly as Godzilla 3. Um, so he had actually Shinichi Sekizawa do the, the full screenplay for this Godzilla versus the Robot Corpse. And Sekizawa retitled it Godzilla Legend of the Asuka Fortress. And it's about a sentient computer that the Japanese government has created, and it turns on Japan, and... Um, so it's Japanese Skynet. Exactly, Japanese <laughs> Skynet. Or the Forbin Project. That's right, and it would have been like the year after Terminator, some t- at some point in 1985, 1986, so that was definitely on their mind. And yeah, so Sekizawa turned that in, and you know he had. we almost could have seen a Heisei-era Sekizawa film, so it's too bad that didn't pan out. So out of all of these lost films, which one do you think you wish had actually been made? I wish uh, the one that Nate brought up, that's one of my favorites, is this uh, suicide, Godzilla suicide strategy, because I think it gave Godzilla a, a character arc for once, and that he's got a, diffi- diff- a difficulty he's got to overcome. And um, I just like the 70s Godzilla movies in general. You know, <laughs> yes, those, we're like very those. good on, on, uh, on those with this okay. podcast, well, actually. Yeah, we we love them a lot. Yeah. I particularly like it when movies take risks. And the 70s was sort of a zany time for Godzilla. And there, but there's so much good stuff to see in them. And I don't really think there are very many movies that are made like those anymore. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it's interesting, Um, those used to be Toho's big New Year's blockbuster movies, and at some point that just died out and they were replaced by disaster movies as the new uh, end-of-the-year blockbuster, like Submersion of Japan and things like that. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice how a lot of these Godzilla movies, they came out in December. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, yeah. It was a pattern for a long time. That's right, yeah. Do you think any of these lost films have a chance to be revisited? There's, uh, or at least elements of them, be you know put into new movies, such as, uh, for instance, like in Godzilla 2014, there was that uh, San Francisco bridge scene, and that was actually taken from a script written around like 1995, uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah, in the 90s. Uh huh. One of the previous Hollywood scripts. Yes, and, and uh, I believe it was the director of 2014 who who mentioned that he wanted to use that after reading about that in that, re- looking at it in that 1995 script. So it was it was something he decided to just sort of pick 
from the tree, so to speak, and then just use it and uh, um, have it in a new movie. But if, if there's anything, do you think there's anything that is possibly going to be revisited? Well, that's you used a perfect example there because there's more similarities between the, the 1994 Godzilla script by Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott and the 2014 Godzilla. There's actually, we could talk quite a bit about, but to return to the question, though, um, Bride of Godzilla inadvertently influenced the return of Godzilla in 1984. Uh, Shockless, the giant sea lice, lice, however you say it, that was from Bride of Godzilla. They had these giant lice that lived on Anguirus and would jump off and feed on people. So it took, uh, you know, almost 30 years, but that eventually came on screen. Um, But something I'd like to say tangent to that question is... I really wish, uh, now that Toho's in the Godzilla anime business, I wish they'd just do an anime of Bride of Godzilla or Godzilla's suicide strategy. Um, I think that would be cool. I think there would be more fan interest in that, sort of like how DC does their comic book ap- adaptation animated movies. I wish Toho would do that with these unpublished scripts. It sounds like anime might be a better medium for them to be used anyway. That's right, because a lot of them got rejected just because they were so expansive. Um, Bride of Godzilla, for instance, would have cost a fortune because it had an underground cavern. It had mermaids, believe it or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All sorts of dinosaurs and monsters. So that's probably why it got uh, cut more than anything else. That sort of leads us to our next question, which is based on what you learned. Do you think that sense of film must be profitable nowadays? that it it could prevent fresher, often riskier ideas from being made, and instead so many things get left undone. Absolutely, and I think it's interesting that Toho just came out and said that they're going to do a Godzilla connected universe because they already did that back in the 1960s. You know, I wish that they would just uh, take pride in that and say, hey, we did it first, but instead they almost sound more like they're copying Marvel yeah, you know, which they're not really. Again, they they did that themselves back in the '60s. Um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They they look at numbers and they look at what worked last time and they try to do it again. So and they have the financial advisors in, and and in some cases, movies almost become like an investment vehicle. Exactly, and yet at way. the same time, and it's though, also like yeah. risk management. Yeah. gone you know, run amok yeah. filmmaking by committee yeah yeah but you know what though i say that and yet shin godzilla nobody in their right mind would have greenlit that movie and yet look how great it turned out so i mean yeah uh that that's probably a a, a rare example of of the other uh you know the opposite of that yeah and i i put it together with godzilla 54 and 84 mm-hmm. because they're they're both very daring yeah. uh as well and uh, it, it's really one of those, I think we mentioned it somewhere, but we, I sort of talked about how a movie like Shin Godzilla is really like a once-in-a-generation sort of mm-hmm. experience, really. And there, there aren't very many movies that are like that. Yeah. Uh, but that's what makes it so good, in my opinion. This is a question people love to ask, especially at G-Fest. It's kind of mandatory. What's your favorite Godzilla movie and why? So I'm actually, Sunday, I'm going to be on a panel called, uh, ostensibly, the best Godzilla movie ever. And even <laughs> though... i be at that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, and even though this won't air till later, I, I'm not going to give away which movie we pick is ostensibly the best Godzilla movie ever. But my own personal favorite, um, 
really a draw between Godzilla versus the sea monster and Terror of Mechagodzilla. Oh, excellent choices. Yeah. I just uh, I'm, yeah. I'm very fond of Terror of Mechagodzilla oh, okay, myself. Good. That was my first Godzilla movie. Okay, well, cool. I just think that one has uh, such a great storyline for the human characters that intertwines well with the monsters. And I think that's usually the problem with these movies is sometimes there's too much of a disconnect. And, you know, Katsura and Titanosaurus and Mechagodzilla are so um, intertwined. You know, it just uh, it adds a lot to it. And regarding Godzilla versus the sea monster, uh, it's actually one of the lowest rated Godzilla movies on that movie database out of all of them, which I was kind of shocked when I saw that, really, because it's it's made very well. It's possibly, especially on Blu-ray, one of the most beautiful Godzilla movies made, cinematography-wise, and the colors, and, and it's very pretty to look at. And it has Akira Takarada in it, and everybody in Japan was able to connect with that. And I just, th- we didn't have that connection here, and so Akira Takarada doesn't mean as much, but he's known as, like, the Cary Grant of Japan, and... Uh, plays a wonderful character in that movie. Yes. And the whole story is just sort of what's going to happen next. Yeah. It's a great, fun adventure, and it's, this leads to the next thing to the next. Yeah, and Stuart Galbraith said it best. He said you could edit out the monsters and still have an entertaining film, and that is saying a lot. So yeah. I think that's why it's a favorite of mine. I really like a lot of Fukuda films that uh, he did for for Godzilla, and I'd love to get a hold of more Fukuda films that aren't Godzilla, but he really knew what to do with the camera, mm-hmm. and he really knew how to make a quality picture. So tell us about your new book. My newest book is a sequel to The Lost Films. It's called Terror of the Lost Tokusatsu Films, and it's basically all of the uh, unmade Japanese special effects films that really didn't fit well. And in with giant monsters. So basically you get a lot of unmade um, human-sized monsters and just uh, special effects films in general like uh, Frankenstein versus the Human Vapor. Have a rundown on that in there. Uh, The unmade sequel to Japan Sinks called After Japan Sinks in America. And I think it was called Continuation Japan Sinks in Japan. Um, Just movies like that. You know, so if you're into more than just Godzilla, you know, it's definitely something you'll, you'll enjoy looking into. Yes, and in your new book, you uh, I was looking through it, and you actually have a section about a Hitchcock-related uh, movie and or a script. That's correct. So the, the connection there is that Matango is based on a story uh, called uh, A Voice in the Night by William Hope Hodgson. And before Toho adapted it uh, in 1963, this Alfred Hitchcock-produced uh, television series called uh, Suspicion. It actually produced it, I believe, in 1958. And it has some big-name actors in it, like James Coburn and Patrick McNee from The Avengers. Um, and it's this uh, black-and-white, you know, teleplay, basically, um, of that same story. Um, but I think it's more faithful, actually, to Hodgson's original. And, you know, and Toho really elaborated on it. Um, but uh, it's actually on YouTube, if you want to see it. Um, you know, stark black-and-white, not a very good uh you know, transfer. So sometimes it's almost as though you're watching a silent film, but it's definitely worth, or not silent film, I'm sorry. It's almost like you're watching uh, a radio play. That's what I meant to say. Oh, yeah. It's been a long day at G Fest. <laughs> been talking to a lot of people, you know, not quite used to it. 
But yeah, uh, Voice in the Night on YouTube, it's pretty easy to find, assuming it doesn't get taken down at some point. Uh, it's only about an hour long, so. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, and uh, my favorite film is Vertigo, actually. Finally, a fun little question for you. If you were a kaiju, which one would you be? Hmm. I'd want to be Rodan so I could fly. Very quickly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And then throw yourself into a volcano in very Shakespearean fashion after your, your yes, mate dies. Yes. <laughs> very dramatic. Thank you very much for coming to us for our interview. And uh, we really have enjoyed talking to you about this. We're definitely going to get more. We're definitely so much more interested in, in this topic. And, and uh, Nate went to your panel last year, and uh, it's, it's amazing. And uh, where can uh, listeners get your newest book? Uh, Amazon is the easiest place. Um, it's got all of them, so that, you know I've got an author page on there. So if you just want to click on my name, you'll uh, see what all I've done, and you know don't forget to also click on the names of uh, my contributors because I always have lots of friends work on the book with me, like uh, Colin McMahon and uh, Alan A. Dubas and people like that. You know, so be sure to check out all the other stuff they've done as well. And but yeah, just Amazon. Yes, uh, I want to echo Brian. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, it was a lot of fun going to your panel last year. And we got to be on a panel together. You know, yeah. I, I haven't gotten to quite tell that story yet on the <laughs> podcast. You know, I got myself on a panel at the last minute. And so that uh, that was a, a great experience. And um, I'm very grateful that you were our first interview ever on Kaiju Vision Radio. Oh, well, thank you. Like I said, I'm, I'm honored to be the first. So thank you. If you'd like to get a hold of us and send us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is feedback at kaijuvision.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, our YouTube channel, and on our website, kaijuvision.com. Thanks to Audiophiliac for creating our theme and bumper music, www.fiverr.com slash audiophiliac. If you like our podcast, please support us on Patreon. I'm Nathan Marchand, and I'm the podcast webmaster. And I'm Brian Churchill, and I edited this podcast. Sayonara, 